Good evening. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Um, I'm Marshall Price. I'm the curator of modern and contemporary art here at the National Academy, and welcome to the first installment of the new season of the review panel. It's fantastic to see so many people here and a lot of new faces in the crowd, so welcome. Um, before we get started tonight, I just want to take care of a little housekeeping. Um, we'd like to thank several funders for the programs here at the National Academy, including the Bodman Foundation, the Bonnie Cashin Fund, the Alex Edel Foundation, the F. Donald Kenny Exhibition Fund, the estate of Jeffrey Wagner, the Reed Foundation, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs with the City Council. Without them, we could not do programs like this evening's. Um, I'd, I would also encourage you to see, if you haven't seen, See It Loud, the current exhibition that is on view in the museum. Uh, seven post-war representational painters. It's a fantastic show of uh, underappreciated and underrepresented artists. So please have a look at that when you get a chance. Um, we've got a number of other public programs coming up that I would encourage you to check out and come to if you can on October 9th, that's next week. We've got art historian Jennifer Samet discussing the landscape of art criticism in the 1950s and 60s, and it's a program that's in conjunction with the See It Loud exhibition. On October 23rd, we have our third installment of Architects in Conversation. And this year, we're featuring um, Preston Scott Cohen, uh, architect of the Tel Aviv uh, Museum Edition, and Stan Allen, who is a National Academician and uh, Dean of the Princeton School of Architecture. So please come to that um, if you can. And now finally this evening, I'd like to introduce the moderator of the review panel, uh, David Cohen. David is the publisher and editor of artcritical.com and I'm happy to say I think this is our 10th season of working with David and Art Critical. So please welcome the moderator of this evening's event, David Cohen. Thank you very much indeed, Marshall, Carmen, Heidi, everybody at the National Academy who helps make this possible, hosts this so generously, and even manages to find a seat for almost everybody. So thank you to the National Academy, and congratulations, by the way, on See, it, See Out Loud. Um, uh, splendid exhibition upstairs. Hope you will get a chance to see that. Um, fantastic to launch the new season and to see a full house. Um, I can't quite work out whether it's really Ara or Stephen who fills the hall, but uh, <laughs> somehow or another, we, we get a full house, so that's the way it should be. Welcome, everybody. Put your hand up if this is the first review panel you've attended. Wonderful. Okay. Goodness me. I hope, hope it's the first of many for you. Let me just um, explain for your benefit and also refresh everybody else's memory as to our, uh, the format of the evening. Um, we show we are we have gone to see for actually five exhibitions by four artists uh, around town, um, Chelsea, Soho, Lower East Side. We show a PowerPoint presentation of the first two exhibitions we're going to consider. The panel among themselves debate the merits and otherwise of these two exhibitions. 
The audience comes in. Uh, please wait when you do so for the roving mic, because we record these events. And also, of course, we all want to be able to hear you. Uh, at opportunity to make comments, um, ask questions. Comments are actually usually more welcome than questions, because they don't need answering. And also because this is a review panel, and you're part of the panel um, at that moment. So we just want a diversity of opinion, really. And then we repeat the exercise for the following two artists, and then we wend our way. I mentioned that it's recorded. Uh, you can hear podcasts of almost, uh, I think, all, all, all but two of the last 60-odd uh, review panels uh, at artcritical.com. Um, and you can actually, at the same website, as well as reading a uh, spread of uh, criticism dating back 10 years, uh, you can um, hear podcasts as well from our sister series, The Review Panel Philadelphia, which launches uh, in a couple of weeks uh, in, at the Pennsylvania Academy with panelists Donald Cuspit, Tom Cesar, and Astrid Bowlby. So now is my pleasurable task to introduce you to this evening's panelists. On my left, in the corner here, Stephen Westfall. I should point out, by the way, that all three panelists, all three guests are uh, returnees, are repeat offenders, as it were, um, regular and welcome guests here on the review panel. Stephen Westfall um, is primarily a painter. He has his next exhibition at Lennon Weinberg, opening uh, November the 7th. And Stephen, however, is also well known as a prolific writer. Uh, he is most frequently seen in the pages of Art in America, and he uh, is a prolific author of catalogue essays. Roberta Smith is co-chief critic of the New York Times, a job description that requires no amplification. And Ara Mergian is a professor at NYU in the, if, of Art History and Italian Studies, He's the author of a book uh, coming out from Yale University Press on De Chirico in the spring. Uh, and he's working on his next volume on the filmmaker Pier Paolo Pasolini. And he's, a, as a critic, he's seen regularly in the pages of um, Art Forum and Freeze. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. Great, so if we dim the lights, we can see the PowerPoints for the first two exhibitions. And I shall just let it play in silence. Well, there are many questions that run through one's mind as a critic when you wander through an exhibition. What does this mean? Uh, do I like it? Am I being moved? Is this saying to me like the statue in uh, that sonnet by Rilke, you must change your life. Am I going to run out of this exhibition and change my life? I wonder if I was the only person wandering around marching through this exhibition of Matthew Day Jackson at Hauser and Worth thinking, what did this cost? <laughs> the, the, the sheer technology deployed um, 
without even reading any of the advanced publicity, just, just by looking, just by knowing anything, and you don't have to know anything about art, you just have to know about, you just have to build a new bathroom in your house to know <laughs> that this must have cost about as much as a national, building a new national museum in some central European state. <laughs> the utter phenomenal um, craftsmanship, um, the, 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 the fabricators, um, uh, what has gone in to make such an exhibition? Um, I, that maybe is the wrong question to ask in relation to art. It's just the artist or dealer or collector's business what this happened to have cost or necessitated. But then those of us who have been trained at all in, say, the art of the Renaissance or uh, in any kind of art history, and, and anybody who makes art, um, part of the experience of looking at art is, is it's intricately related to the process of making it and uh, uh, all the related issues to relating it. Um, Ara, did you have any of, uh, did you have any qualms about the sheer scale and artistry and expense uh, and, and um, um, material uh, characteristics of this exhibition? Or were you able to just see th straight through that and get to a deeply satisfying aesthetic experience? <laughs> A loaded question. Um, I, <laughs> I always uh, think of Day Jackson as um, sort of the Discovery Channel meets Marcel Duchamp or something like that. Um, in terms of uh, its material or aesthetic pleasures, um, he's obviously a very thinking artist and, uh, and one who um, whose conceptual interests are matched, obviously, for a deep of care for the craft of his objects. Um, uh, as, as I think we can tell from the uh, rapidly shifting texture, scale, materials, and media of his work, um, uh, in some ways, um, what you love about an artist can also be, in, uh, to a certain extent, a kind of liability, such that he really, in, in some ways, kind of embodies this, um, what you know, for a good couple of decades now, Rosalind Krauss has called the, the post-medium condition, right? That, that uh, uh, the artist is not necessarily beholden to any parameters other than a kind of almost um, uh, sort of rapidly shifting um, oscillation in a sense. And some part of me oftentimes wants him to um, sort of sit still and explore a little bit more one of these channels a little bit more um, thoroughly and sort of, uh, I mean, this this uh, show in particular was very much a kind of smorgasbord, and I think mm -hmm. your your word scale sort of sums up the almost Wagnerian kind of dimensions, which are matched by the the spaces of Hauser and Wirth, which kind of almost demand that sort of scale. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess those were my basic impressions. Uh, Roberta, was it the uh, overall uh, spirit of this exhibition that grabbed you, or what, were there works that were able, that you, that, whose, whose uh, use of materials or the actual materials that were, were able to? Um, how, how did you engage with the material aspect here? Well, you know, this is the show to hate this month, which is kind of saddening in a way. And uh, I mean, I, I, it's really been so disparaged. And I hate to get on the bandwagon and, and uh, join in, but 
um, there really wasn't anything that appealed to me. I mean, I, I, I just was looking at this kind of intersection of material and skill and certain kinds of ideas. And there is a, obviously a drive for the work to be very accessible, but um, there just wasn't really any there there for me. And I just felt really, I felt bad for him because I, I feel like a number of artists are getting, I mean, I've liked some of his previous work. I think he has a very peculiar sense of material and he really wants craft to be sort of very available and to, to evoke different traditions. But a lot of things that, are, that you look at today are a, a, an artist that gets a little too ahead of himself and has too much money and the pressure to fill too much space. And so that I felt like he just disappeared, really, that he just wasn't there as a person. I could sort of see his interest, but there was all this reliance on other artists mm -hmm. and on technologies that seemed so much beyond what he could manage with his own hands. Not that, mm -hmm. not that I want to romanticize that or limit somebody, but, but David's reaction is, it's a reaction I have a lot. And I usually take it as a sign that you know, it's, I don't really care how much something costs. I want that to be pushed to the background when I'm thinking about a work of art. And so if, it, if it's there in the foreground, you know sort of you've got a problem and, and you stick with it and you look at it and you try to hope it'll go to the background, but it doesn't, it actually doesn't. So I just thought there were a lot of kind of reliance on, you know, the Bruce Nauman piece, the big shells that look like Damien Hirst, the kind of, abuse of Rodin and the, the burgers of Calais, and then things that are completely, well, even they're not completely honest because there's a, like the, the what's that called, the, the three-part one where it turned. Oh, yes, that, like an advertising display. Yeah, so at a certain mm. point that looks like a, a, a corporate lobby, and then, then you're looking at a painting which is Bierstadt's, which you realize yeah. you've seen a couple of times already, or at least once. Um, oh, it's just... You know. uh, the catalogue, I think, could go on, because actually one of the YBAs, I think it's maybe Simon or Patterson or uh, Richard Patterson, uh, has made work using that kind of flip-flop, that yeah. display technique. And it seemed to me, um, you know, almost disingenuous that, yeah, Rodin and Michelangelo is taken for granted. And of course, that's part of the, the whole lexicon of uh, the, the number of artists who, who use... Uh, old masters of that nature, it goes without saying. Bruce Nauman is mentioned in the title, that's very nice, but uh, you know, Mark Quinn doesn't get a credit, and those uh, vitrines with the skeletons and the, what look like a body of frozen blood are really just a bit of a rehash of a relatively minor, um, but you know, nonetheless inventive uh, current artist. So it seemed to me uh, it wasn't just homage to the masters, but helping oneself to the minor masters, which seemed a bit unsavory. Um, am I being too harsh, Stephen? Would you, I think we're looking to you, perhaps, to champion. Uh, <laughs> I think you're a natural for Matthew Day Jackson. Use the mic. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, you know, I sort of echo Roberta's sentiment. I, 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 it, I feel that there's, it's, a, it's a melancholy task, I think, uh, really dissecting this show, um, uh, I I am a uh, you know I'm a painter, so I think about uh, I, I still like aura, can't help it, um, and uh, I don't know. I just I, I felt defeated 
you know, walking out, and, and um, uh, uh, I didn't even stop for an espresso in their uh, <laughs> uh, coffee bar, and and, uh, uh, and I think I think part of it is it's, it's you know it, you know poor I, I you know I, I feel like it's it's I think this show is bearing the brunt of a lot of built up antagonism yeah. towards. Uh, um, a kind of dioramic scale of festival mm -hmm. art that, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, Roberta, did you coin that term, festival art? No, or, Peter Sheldahl did. Peter Sheldahl did, yeah. Um, and I sort of detected the master's hand in the New Yorker dis dissection of uh, the show. Dissection also. or bludgeon? Um, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> dental treatment from, uh, from Marathon Man. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, you know, and, and I and so I, I, I think there's this there's a, a, a when you have a team of assistants executing work with uh, materials that are shipped in and on an, in, on an industrial scale, most likely aura is going to escape you. And I, mm -hmm. this is not true for to my mind uh, for Richard Serra, but Richard Serra knows a lot about scale. Mm -hmm. He knows a lot about the operations of scale, and he seems to have a direct way of addressing the body in a kind of grab bag sort of survey type installation like this was, there was no way to feel that the, as, as an embodied sensibility, as I feel myself to be when I'm in a show, that I was being addressed by the work in any kind of way. I was kind of an ornament uh, to the work. Uh, and, I, and there was something ultimately kind of, you know, corporate about it. And, you know, what, what signifies, you know, the, the, uh, that, that adjective, I think, and you know, that it used in a discouraging way, I think, is, is that you know the work felt uh, feels cold in relationship to what we think about when we think of art as something. Uh, I'm not saying it's not art, but it's just uh, when we think about art as 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 a, a, an opportunity for human expression. I mean, there's stuff. There was texture, but there was no aura. There was texture, but no hand. Mm. The thing was heavily textured. Lots and lots of texture, texture all over the place. But it was literal. Um, it was literal it was, texture, it was, wasn't it? It was yes. manufactured texture, mm -hmm. and uh, and so I, I, you know, so in the same way that I, I, I feel like in a corporate lobby, uh, uh, looking at um, maybe decorative panels of texture uh, that are meant to invoke wood or water, like the big scholar's rock that was mm -hmm. in this show. I, I felt I. I the scale, the the over scale of the work wasn't lightened by a sense of, to my mind, of irony, mm -hmm. and I think that in fact that that may be sort of one of the keys to unlocking the show because mm -hmm. I also feel the show is very much about the body being, you know, the, the, one of the subjects of the show is very much about the body being under siege by mortality, mm -hmm. by time, by injury, by um, uh, and being exposed uh, and by scale. Mm. But somehow it doesn't translate into any kind of sympathetic connective tissue right. or the viewing sensibility. Yeah, yeah. No, Ara, if I could turn back to you. When, when we have, um, we've had in the last half century um, uh, an, an escalating tradition of um, artists going beyond merely maintaining a studio with some assistance to the factory phenomenon. But mm. It strikes me, and as, especially as you cited uh, Duchamp and, in, in your opening remarks, that whether it's uh, uh, Warhol, of course, or 
Damien Hirst or Jeff Koons or Mark Costabi. Um, there are artists who have big factories where the, the mode of production is folded into the meaning of the work so that it's not that you stand back and say, scandal, did you hear Jeff Koons worked with some assistants? But no, it, it, the, the work is almost is about its own slickness, or Hearst yeah. is about its own uh, facture. Um, but that, that the problem I think that uh, Stephen was describing is one that, um, that there's no real um, intentional artistic thought behind the deployment of the expertise of others. Would you go well, along with that, or would you? Yeah, I mean, I think Stephen pretty much summed it up by, by essentially underscoring the lack of irony, right? I mean, all of those mm. artists that we might think of that thematize their own, the lack of craft, or the lack of their hand, or they're phoning it in from Duchamp to Manzoni, also really sort of uh, the crux of their work becomes not simply the work itself, but the ideas that it unleashes, right? That's really the crux of conceptual art. If you turn to the press release, it's about a four-page, completely unironic, earnest explication of every move, of every object, um, which I think is telling, right? That there is not a kind of ironic relinquishment of the hand. There is a simultaneous kind of fetishization of texture and of the object and its materiality and its making, and an attempt to kind of thematize these grand ideas about alienation and destruction. And, and I think the artist sort of wants to have both, he wants to have his conceptual cake mm. and eat the object as well, and I, I, I think mm. we've kind of come to why it doesn't quite perhaps work. With, with, a, with a small side of minor artists, is that <laughs> They provide the green. And so even some Eve Klein blue. Yeah, in yeah exactly. But, but I want to answer one thing. I'm interested in one thing you said, because I, would, I don't think that the, it's the difference between whether the artist makes it or not. In other words, what... what um, Stephen was saying about Sarah. I mean, mm -hmm. I think Duchamp has has aura. Duchamp has touch. Judd has touch for me. That it's it's just translated into what you get. You know, maybe touch isn't the right word, but but maybe another word we don't use so much. The sensibility. Well, affect maybe is. Well, sensibility. Is you feel there's a person in there, and that the whole thing has sort of been. Mm -hmm thought through. Mm -hmm. And what, what you had with, with Day Jackson was all these kind of weird textures and then you suddenly realize that there was nobody behind them, that there were lots of signs of touch but they were kind of mass produced in a certain mm -hmm. way. Well, do you, I think it's also that, that in some sense any kind of real appearance of the hand then becomes a slip. And, and, and particularly in work's desire to be transparent to a kind of uh, limited sense of ambiguities around the referent, you know, and, and so what happens, so then what happens is, is that without irony, which of course is, is basically the, the operation of ambiguity in many ways, uh, you have a, a, a kind of resacralization of the referent. So there's this kind of gee whiz quality around everything, um, which um, I, I just, I, I, I just, I, I can't handle that. I, I, an well, they look, they look um, sort of, some of the, the especially those large-scale, um, sort of overwrought wooden pieces mixed with collage, looked like a kind of corporate dada, sort of, in a sense. I mean, they seem almost 
this, uh, you know, reified and, and, and made over into something. Or Nevelson. I mean, they were just like yeah. every, yeah. you know, all that. If you really got up close, I mean, not that she really made no. surfaces like that, but there was the lead, twine, string, yeah. all that, yeah. you know. I mean, what I do is you look at these things and you think, well, what is this? And then you read, um, at least they didn't do mixed medium. <laughs> oh yes, I, the list I appreciated the, the, the list of the everything. The checklist was an education, it wasn't it? I mean, I appreciated was, uh, that, and I like was I really tracking a lot of it down. Computer so. tracking, cutting. Compu well, yeah, that's like laser cutting. It's like it's like a, a still version of CGI mm. in film. And you know, if you look at CGI from ten years ago, <laughs> the very thing that made me used to go like, wow. You know, look at that explosion. I don't know how they survived mm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, uh, like, you know, 10 years later, it's like, oh, I can see the scenes. I can see the superimposition. Yeah. And mm. so, you know, today's explosions look so much more real, but 10 years from now, they're like, you know, there's those scenes. I can see mm. them. So, uh, of course, uh, I think one of my students was explaining to me or uh, giving his interpretation, or perhaps he'd read somewhere, that uh, the Rodin was actually uh, fabricated uh, using some sort of 3D type printing technique from uh, his own cell phone shots right. of the, the burgers right. of Calais. And so that's actually, so that Thomas Schutter-like look of the melting figures is therefore perhaps part of, there at least this is the semblance of some meaning that has to do with uh, fracture, that has to do with, uh, uh, you know, a, a strange, adjustment. a strange, yeah, yeah, a strange kind of digital adjustment leading to a uh, an unmonumental monumentalism, um, and so that potentially had interest. I think we now need to do that. Stephen mentioned dissection. We now need to do having, I think, come to a fairly swift consensus um, concerning the merit of the show. Uh, let's set let's set ourselves this challenge. Okay, what was the best bit? What was is there anything that we could take away from the show? If there's one piece, or if we said to, we might not actually have room for it in our living room, so takeaway is a metaphorical. If we if we were to say to Jay Jackson, if we were to meet him in the street, uh, perhaps he's standing outside, and we, we will have to meet him in the street. Okay, he'll say to us, um, "All right, I, I get the message, but what what did you like? You know, what 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 should I improve? What 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 should I work further with? Is there a piece that for any of us um, came closest to?" Satisfactory aesthetic experience, um, Stephen. I had one moment, and it wasn't really the piece so much, but the juxtaposition of the uh, of the racing car, the drag racing car, suspended above the hallway with the highway line, which I believe was put in there for Mary Heilman, or uh, and and so that juxtaposition I thought was 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 pretty funny. Um, and, uh, but that was sort of me bringing my own sort of sensibility, you know, my own sort of sensibility to it. Um, and uh, so I, I, beyond that, the other thing I, I would say is, is that around the, uh, uh, the Rodin, the degradation, I think there's something being said about the degradation of, of, the, of the experience of the Gestalt through media and, mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the broadcast of media. And there's, a, there's an idea there. Yes. And I, I'm not sure, maybe it should be written about, again, because it's so literal. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, some ideas are just, you know, make, would make really interesting passages in a Thomas Bernhardt novel or something, but not really work for, as an actual, you know, recapitulation as a piece. Um, 
but that, but I, but I got the idea of the, of the degradation of the Gestalt. Right. Um, Ara, a piece that you that uh, would say to um, him, say, hey, well, do think, more of them? I think one of the threads that, um, of his work that I have appreciated in the past is this um, exploration of the sort of display case as, uh, you know, from the tradition of the kind of um, the Wunderkammer up until, you know, the present day sort of shop window is the site of both wonder and terror, right, of the, the pleasures of examination and the horrors of positivism. And, uh, you know, I, there was something about those sort of écorché bodies and different materials that I found actually aesthetically pleasurable. Um, but again, they were so disjointed from the rest of the show, um, you know, the scale of which seemed suited more to sort of the arsenal in Venice than to, uh, mm. um, you know, an actual human space that right. uh, it's hard to sort of take that away. Roberta. Well, I, I feel like that when you go to, when you would go to an artist's studio, you would I would often sort of try to find the work I like the best, and I feel like that's what you're asking me to do now. You yes. Know, sort of, it's it's this kind of relativism. It is. Yes, um, we we've established individually and collectively yeah. our verdict, which is not so positive. But within I that, I think that um, mm -hmm. I would go for something small and highly detailed, which would be parts of the skeletons, and then maybe certain of the heads opposite the skeletons, where you could, where there was a real relationship between, mm -hmm. or there, you, you could find a kind of relationship between the scale of the piece and the size of the piece and the, and the material, you know, that there, there was, it was just, I think one of the reasons you might like the skeletons too is that they were just kind of stripped down. Yeah, they were yeah. bare, you could, you could see them and through them in a certain way. Yes. But the smaller ones I think I would prefer. I uh, was, you, well, yeah, I realize I better answer it myself. Um, you know, I just on a purely formal level, um, and then at a sort of maybe empathy level, the uh, reliefs done by that CTC method, um, which uh, always amuses me because it also stands in my mind for a crush, tear, curl, which is a uh, technique of tea production, but um, they, that, that laser-cut textured relief where he has Paris and Eve Klein blue with the, the Seine and other bodies of water and sort of Eve Klein coppery oxidization in a way that has a kind of medieval feeling, but it's medieval via Klein, so that and the um, sort of Alberto Buri meets uh, Louise Nevelson um, plus a lot of Mark Bradford, not so easy to acknowledge, um, in the sort of cityscapes. Um, yeah, but it, again, it's, it's this sort of phoned in, or it's a sort of algorithm of influence leading to uh, something that's got some texture, but it's only a literal texture. So I don't know. Um, might be back to the drawing board for Mr. Today Jackson. So. Our next show is one where one might also start with exactly the same reaction. What did this cost? But did it cost more than fifty dollars? Uh, it's it's uh, we've gone from uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, Milgo Bufkin's dream job to uh, to uh, the, the the laundry's uh, nightmare job. Um, uh, but that's to that's to offer a, a trivial way into. Um, Anna Betbees. Um, Roberta, uh, what do you make of her show? 
Well, she sort of made a splash last year making these paintings out of hides that had been sort of abused and penetrated and painted on, burned. And I thought they were really kind of interesting. I thought they had this great, weird presence um, and some kind of possibility. So when I walked into this show, I was really sort of shocked and initially quite disappointed in a way. And I stayed there a while, and then there were some other people in. And um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I came away really happy that she decided she wasn't going to stick with these things, which could, she could probably you know, sell quite a few of over the next five or 10 years, that she was going to really strike out someplace else, and that she was announcing this kind of interest in really intense color. Um, in not, she, she still is very nervous about just traditional paint on canvas, and you know, that's something I'd like to see her work out of, you know. But, um, and I, you know, and I had this appreciation, like I said, I, I thought the color was fantastic, and this kind of idea of making something that you have a very mixed reaction to, like the color's great in this sort of retinal sense, and then what is the object? You know, what is that thing? It's like old towels. and So I like that kind of perversity. I felt like she was saying goodbye to the fur paintings with the big hand in the middle of the floor that people could sit on. And I thought probably I liked what was going on in some of the bathrobes, but that, but that I, didn't, I, I didn't like the idea. I mean, it was great for people to put them on, but that somebody was going to buy one as a painting just struck me as kind of strange. So I, I kind of came away feeling much better about it than I did at first. And um, that, you know, that she's, it's like a, whatever they call it, a sophomore show, you know, and from somebody that you kind of expected more from. And she just sort of said, okay, you know, stop it right there. I'm going to, I'm not, I don't want that kind of career. And I want to be a little less, I'm going to resist this a bit. And it was, so in a way, I'm almost, I'm, I'm more interested in it for these kind of ephemeral things like, I like color, or I don't want to fit into this slot, you know, as, as expressions of attitude almost. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting take. Uh, it, it, it's the one that's, uh, it, it's the, 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 almost the anti-Day Jackson kind of um, approach to thinking through medium and relationship to it. Well, she's, uh, she's obviously thinking about, she is thinking about how much this costs, and she doesn't have a lot of money, and, you know, right. that... Okay, right. Sorry. No, no, no. But I, 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 I um, you know, I've left that behind now. We, we, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll pass the dollars and cents. Well, but, she uh, has a, she has a good deal of money now because a lot of them have sold for right. quite of these of the the actual bathrobe sold I've individually for eighteen thousand dollars. Did you try one on? I did not. I didn't know that that was um, an option. Right. Um, but the the bathrobes, I would know. Not that you know the quantification of the of the work necessarily impinges upon its. Value, but those, you know, uh, they may have cost less than fifty dollars to make, but they earned her a good seventeen thousand something plus for each. In total, because they were only thirty-eight hundred. Okay, split that in half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, that said, the, you know, she's essentially soaked some terry cloth bathrobes in some dye and burned a couple, and um, uh, you know, I might have spoken out of turn, but uh, they. Uh, I thought that the, the wall hangings were actually quite compelling and yeah. had a kind of engagement with this 
Hans Hoffmann-like mm-hmm. um, mid-century abstraction, a real kind of um, attention to how they were knit together and a, a play of the planes. And I thought that the, the sort of center of the show just absolutely failed entirely to really engage with that uh, in any profound way. I thought the, the sort of uh, squishy hand in the center was seemed kind of gratuitous in a sense. Oh, really? Uh, All right. It didn't bind it together? I didn't. didn't. Just from a functional point of view, one could recline on it and get a different feeling for the the hanging Mm. pieces, no? Well, it's sort of like with the bathrobes. Yeah. One could also buy it for an absurd amount of money, right? Right. It's, uh, you know, it just didn't seem terribly to to sort of fit in with with what she was trying to do on the wall, I guess. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, what, what, Stephen, did you view this primarily as painting by eccentric means, or did you see it as um, more to do with a kind of appropriation art? What was what was your uh, take on this? Well, a, combi- a combination of the of the of the two. I, you know, the hand. I like looking at the hand in the photograph because it looks like it's made out of coconut. <laughs> um, but it was like you know that fake fur stuff, and I couldn't help but think of Nayland Blake's you know large bunny bed. Um, that uh, predates it by a number of years, and it's roughly in the same scale um, uh, as an object in a room. So I, 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 I don't, uh, you know, I, I, the hand interested me the least. I, I became more interested in 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 uh, the towel paintings. I was most interested in the towel paintings, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, I think they could have gone. For, I think there could be more exploration about in a Hoffman-esque way. I mean, all she really needs to do is, to, is in substituting dye for paint, is then bring that back to painting in some way, uh, uh, and see and you know uh, see what happens. I think this, the towel skins. Once you identify them as towels, there's a there's a there's a bit of a uh, just a you know an incremental letdown in terms of 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 like of again a kind of literal referent um, in the process and but what's 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 um, positive about that is is that uh, there's a sense of the availability of the process you know in you know within the the, the very tiny cottage industry that is a young artist's you know studio mm-hmm. and uh, who doesn't have a lot of money and uh, uh, so it there was a nice sort of juxtaposition of of a kind of uh, reach of of historical reference. Um, but a kind of you know concrete play. I like their scale. The scale may have been a little bit big for that room. Um, uh, you know, I I think I, I, you know I think I'm a lot. I th- I think a lot of artists, you know, project their work into rooms. Like we're in our studio, and our studio is utterly inadequate to the vision that we have for it. But when we're projecting our work into the room, I think one of the things that we want to do is we want to be very sure of the room that we're projecting it into. Dimensions variable, you know. And, but isn't, and that, isn't that to rather make, to over-glorify the whole institution of the, of the gallery show? Because um, uh, uh, that's, that's to make it seem that she's made that body of work to be savored ex- almost exclusively in the Kate. Well, work, this is work where, gallery. yeah, this if is where I'm, what, what I'm not sure because, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it, it you know, running the own narrative in my head, I thought, well, it's like she got, you know, just, it, there was a sense, there was an anxiety w- expressed from, to my mind with the center pillow hand mm-hmm. uh, that was like, well, this is not enough. So uh-huh. I'm gonna give you a little bit of this. And then the robes are a little bit of, you know, and, and, uh, 
And, and I think that you know, the silence of the spaces in the, in the large towel scapes, uh, geometric Hoffman-esque scapes, it would have been interesting just to sort of see what you know would happen if I was you know if I'd had a chance to be alone with them. Yeah, but my suspicion is that um, you know I, I had sort of generally warm feelings towards the the spirit of the show, but uh, my suspicion is that actually, if you just looked at them as paintings that happened to choose terry cloth and dye over canvas and uh, you know Windsor and Newton or Williamsburg paint, to me that's uh, that could be but isn't a minor issue. It would be a minor issue if one then had to engage image by image around the show and decide this is working, this is moving me, this color it could be more here, this could be less there. But I actually don't think there was that much um, of, the, of the formal decision making that Perhaps uh, Stephen. Um, well, I think what I'm suggesting, in fact, is, is that work. there's an anxiety about whether that was enough that mm. then gets addressed by putting other things in. Right. So the so, so it's like you so know the the, 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 the the support is a gimmick that, to some extent, is apologizing for the act of painting. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. I but I also think there's a spirit of inventiveness and a kind of mm. you know let's let's try it on. There's a spirit of experimentation that is kind of nice. I'm reminded, you know. Um, it seems a lot of my students really like her, uh, and I should say that that they seem liberated into doing things that are not like her by her, by the recognition of her work, That's and yeah, and uh, uh, and I also see Polly Applebaum like obviously in the dying, but Polly gets so many such a wider range of color, you know. There's just yeah, so many more yeah. uh, color makes make does so much more. In her work, has many more tasks. Yes, but I, I, Roberta, I wonder if you'd agree with me that uh, with Polly Applebaum, she completely owns her medium, A, and B, it doesn't have that collage other life to it. It's not that these the elements in a Polly Applebaum don't function in a way in the world that a terry cloth or, or a, a bathrobe do uh, in the world. Therefore, with with Polly, it's just an eccentric way of painting, but it's painting. With with uh, um, uh, how do you well, it's pretty eccentric though. It's in little pieces on the floor. It's eccentric. So yeah, we like eccentric. You know, that's Eccentric's both. Good. It's covering the floor, and you have to take care around it. You sure. know, it's very. It's kind oh, of I'm delicate. Not under, I'm not underestimating the eccentricity. Yeah. But its eccentricity is in the same. But there's more of a balance. Like our love lace, or, or quite our loving. I'm sorry, and a number of other artists from the from the sort of 70s onwards who uh, did. Um, you, you know, eccentric painting, painting through other means. Um, but but as Al using dye, I mean, I think that what's one of the interesting things that I I felt was I felt that the palette choice was a little constrained and limited, and then in, in a sense that the that the different iterations of objecthood mm -hmm. in the rest of the show was a kind of way of of compensating for the mm -hmm. limited range of palette well, yeah, choice. Yeah, I thought there was actually more more going on with color and pictorially in the bathtubs. I mean, the bathtubs, the bathrooms. The bathrooms, yeah. And, but and, but and like given that expanse like of the space and the towel hangings, I felt that there could have been more. I mean, and maybe there will be more there. I'd hate to see her like not continue like working on it, but also like, like you could you, mixing dyes, you could get earth color. But I think know? that's. I mean, I think what she did with this show was open her opportunities. Yeah. And she right. hasn't pursued them yet. I mean, I, I, and I think there was something kind of. 
I don't know. I mean, you could, you could say, you know, it's very fashionable right now that art be participatory, so that maybe here's a painting you can wear, here's a sculpture you can, you know, mm -hmm. lounge on. And th that's nothing new, but it was like, I, I, I guess I'm sort of agreeing with what you say about anxiety. It's like a painter's anxiety mm -hmm. about, you know, um, all these other things that are going on. But I thought it was, I just thought she was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be, I thought there was a, a quality of rebellion about it. Like she said, I, you know, I'm not going to stick mm -hmm. to this. Right. Ara, were you able to engage with the hangings as, as you would with uh, a, a, a painting? Or Absolutely, yeah. I thought they were, um, and I, th I think the slides actually um, did justice, at least with the lights out, of their, yes. you know, their sort of scale, their kind of immersive quality, and um, the, the way in which the, these you know, ordinary materials have been kind of repurposed. Um, I, you know, again, I thought that the, the other uh, things seemed redolent of a kind of art school experimentation sort of, you know. Right. Um, that didn't quite match the, the, uh, the solidity of the, of the hangings. Okay, well, in our discussion so far, we've moved from post-studio to post-bathroom, and I think it's a good moment to bring in uh, some audience response. So I believe, Marvelous, we have uh, the roving mic. Please wait, wait for that. And so let's take comments um, first on Matthew Day Jackson. So please hold back if you've got something to say on um, Anna uh, Bitbees. Uh, Bet I'm sorry. And I want to hear first on uh, Matthew Day Jackson. Right. different configurations of what might be seen mm -hmm. making up a, a, a head, the skull, various parts. And then at the very end, there was something that was bigger, and it looked like tree roots. And, and I suppose it was aortas and blood, blood vessels. But the fact that it was at a different scale was confusing to me, and it drew my attention. And as forms, I found it very interesting because it seemed very much like tree roots, and it seemed to, um, to go beyond just a medical model um, to see that the forms in the universe really are connected. Mm -hmm. And I, I wondered if it had been made of tree roots. I, I couldn't, couldn't figure it out, but it was somehow I, I was able to relate to that one piece in a way It may that have been, I think, cast well, on tree roots, but it was in bronze, uh, I believe. Okay. Right. I think all the heads together are one yeah, piece. Right, yes, yeah. they are. Yeah, they are, but they, it confused me because, I mean, and it struck me. I wasn't sure what the significance was of it being much too big to fit into the skull, the way the other things were. Interesting. Obviously, yeah. the same size. Right, interesting. Yeah, okay. So some more comments? Uh, yes, on. on. When I looked at the Rodin thing, I laughed out loud. And I guess none of you really, and I said, oh, fun art. But I guess none of you saw it that way. What do you I, say? I was the coming word? from the, I'd seen the Tangley. Uh, thing on, uh, on uh, the, from the 60s, maybe that, or, and also walking up that spiky corridor. So, but that escaped you, hey? Fun art? Fun art, right. Well, the, the venue, of course, had once been a, uh, a rollerblade disco, so maybe fun, fun well, I think, 
I think we're talking again about the lack of irony or something. I didn't see it as fun art. I saw it mostly as money art. You know that. Um, but I think that's an interesting take. I often think that really great art is funny, but I haven't gotten any traction with that idea. <laughs> but I'm I, with you. you know, there's a kind of joy that. I mean, I think I think the efficiency of a great work of art is kind of gives you that, but not there. Hi, this is my first time at a review here, so I hope you don't mind my not following your question, comment, instruction precisely. But what's striking me most is the curatorial or critical move of putting these two up against each other. It almost feels like a lampoon of contemporary art. So Matt Day, Jackson, fails like a late capitalist man, and we're all put out by that. And uh, along comes Anna, whose name you'll have to remind me of. The rest of her name. And, and she fails like a kind of uh, uh, early feminist girl, soft stuff. And I'm not saying that what I'm opening up is an investigation or an interrogation of their works, but rather of the panel of the situation we're in, of how these two are put up against each other or what we're to get of it. And I, I was surprised and kind of fascinated by that. Okay, well, uh, great. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I mean, I, they're not. Uh, There's they're so not... many ways to fail. <laughs> <laughs> New York is a melting pot of fail. In part two, we'll look at uh, two more ways, maybe. Or, or we'll, we'll redeem uh, ourselves. I, I, I would just say that. You know, it's not really curated. It is a, a throw of the die in a, a dice in a way. I mean, uh, do you mean that actually? I mean, we choose our four shows. I make sure the four shows are a good balance. That is not um, that there's a good balance of uh, gender and generation and style and uh, form and medium, uh, and uh, and and at the same time that it's going to get the juices flowing in, in my particular invited guests. And then I work out, well, what's, what's going to require the most time and what, how can we end on a sort of, pos make sure we end on a positive note and blah, blah, blah. And then I just put it together like you put together a bento box of food. I mean, I, don't, I didn't really uh, deconstruct the uh, implications of this kind of failure and that kind of failure. I was hoping that um, most of, I was hoping that two of my panelists would adore Matthew Day Jackson and we'd have a heated debate, but uh, it turned out not to be that way. So. I, I don't think that's curated. I don't think it's uh, um, usefully subject to a deconstruction. But uh, hey, you know, the artists put their stuff out in the world, and I put the review panel out in the world. You, the, the audience must do what they like. There are a lot of hands up, so let's let me stop yeah, gassing away at the back of the hall. And uh, I uh, essentially agree with. What you, uh, what you all said about Matthew uh, Day Jackson, um, but going off of something Stephen mentioned about how maybe his work needed writing. And uh, I sort of agree with that because I felt that, you know, it's hard to sort of point to the problem without becoming the problem. And I felt that his work was sort of uh, engaged in the spectacle, um, as DeBoard would call it, the idea that the image, images that are purveyed to you on television actually replace your reality. Therefore, 
you're mediated in your own reality. And you guys talked about how his sense of, <laughs> sense of touch always felt mediated or not there or, or, or fake. And I, you know, I felt that that could have been deliberate. And um, I sort of felt that he was, you know, even though it was spectacular, he still was sort of critiquing it. And, um, you know, I think sometimes as art goers and cultural uh, connoisseurs, um, I don't know if we consider art to be nostalgic in the sense that it falsifies uh, an emotion, an emotion for touch and taking your time and sensual qualities. And so when we're presented with something that sort of shows us ourselves as an, imperi an imperial sort of state, you know, with a lot of money, with a lot of technology, do we um, repel from that? Um, Thank you very much. That's a, that's definitely a, a, an original take, and it's one that, uh, yeah, we we actually participate in in the failure by or in in the intention um, by our take on it. Okay, very good. Um, how about um, Anna Betbees then? Let's move on to that show from or, for, with some audience response. Um, anybody have a take on the Terry Towels? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I like the Terry Towels uh, when I saw them today. I didn't respond as strongly to the fuzzy little polar bear thing in the middle of the gallery, uh, the hand. When I looked at the Terry Towels, I, I really was thinking that I'd like to see Joan Snyder get her hands on those Terry Towels at some point and what she would do with them, you know, in, in terms of bringing paint to that surface, because I think you're right. that That's really wide open. The color is electric. Um, the color jumped in my eyes when I walked in the gallery, and I was rather thrilled by some of them. Cool. Thank you. But why not Bonnard doing a bather on a terry towel? It opens the, opens the floodgates. But uh, more comments, more on, more on Anna. So to speak. I think that's been done. Okay. We did it for you. Excellent. So let's... Uh, let's the part. Let's uh, get going again. We could dim the lights. Ready for part two. Can Actually, we take a break. Can we take a break? We, we don't take a break now. I didn't know it. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, uh, we took our break while they were talking. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember how it worked. I think logistically, if we all went out in the street and had a cigarette and came back, it would just. I'm glad my catheter's working. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, yes. Um, actually, why don't we make this a commercial break and let me mention a couple of good pieces of news for you. Number one is that uh, uh, we meet again on November the 1st in this very room uh, where you can... Oh, no, no, you can, you can dim the lights, it's fine. Um, we meet again in this room with um, Stephen Main. Faye Hirsch, and Joan Waltermatt. And our shows are um, um, a name I was going to look up to remind myself how to pronounce it. So I think I better not make a multicultural fool of myself by mispronouncing a name. But um, the shows are decided, so go to artcritical.com and you can see them there. <laughs> What a 
annoying. How annoying! Because I was so thrilled to get the the, the lineup of the shows all all agreed upon, and it's the um, Japanese artist showing at the Sackler Gallery at the Brooklyn Museum. Anyone want to shout out her name correctly for me? Muti Mutu. Wangechi Mutu. Wangechi Mutu. Oh, oh, right. Uh, Yes, excellent. Wangechi Mutu, sorry. Uh, And at at the Brooklyn Museum. um, Okay. Um, TJ Wilcox at the Whitney Museum of American Art. Bruce Pearson at Ronald Feldman Fine Art. And Fran Siegel at Leslie Heller. And also, another commercial plug is that if you go to artcritical.com early next week to check all those details, you can also see our first of the season uh, roundtable discussion among regular contributors to Art Critical, who include, in fact, uh, past and future review panel members, uh, Dennis Carden, Duncan <coughs> Hanna, Nora Griffin, Christina Key, uh, Vincent Katz, David Carboni, and myself, debating uh, the Baltus exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum. So, we now proceed to part two. (coughs) Well, it seems to me from having had the privilege to attend the Venice Biennale this year uh, and the the major exhibition, uh, the Encyclopedic Palace, which is at the heart of um, both the Arsenale and the Giardini, an exhibition that really, I think, captures a, a, a mood that I'm seeing in many different places of um, a new coming to terms with the phenomenon of outsider art, um, in which uh, what had seemed um, to me a late, uh, to, to many as a, a late flowering of a kind of primitivism um, in the mid 20th century and in the post-war period with de Buffet and others, um, suddenly, strangely, coming back, this idea of the visionary, the marginalized um, artist making the most compelling work and being, in a way, a sort of yardstick for uh, the contemporary artist, um, in a way that in a previous, previous generations, um, say, tribal art or children's art, um, or the art of the early Renaissance, uh, the pre, pre-high Renaissance art had been a, a other sort of iterations of primitivism. Um, uh, So in a way, the decision of uh, Peter Freeman Inc. to merge two two quite unrelated exhibitions they had planned of uh, the young, uh, conceptually oriented artist uh, uh, David Adamo, and their having taken on the estate of James Castle, um, may may or may or may not have been in their minds as being in a way an echo of the the spirit of the encyclopedic palace but uh, it is I think tapping uh, a mood of the times Um, I found though that whereas in Venice I didn't like that notion very much it seemed to me anachronistic Um, here it just seems to visually be such a pleasure to make such sense Um, Neither artist feels like they're belittling or patronizing the other. Um, I see the, um, it it could be such a sort of minefield of embarrassment uh, to put um, 
or for an artist like Adamo to allow himself to be put in the company of one of the most loved um, and collected and, and revered of the um, uh, American outsiders, the, the, uh, the deaf and mute um, Idaho post office um, man, James Castle's uh, 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 work. Um, my, my take was, no, I didn't feel, I, I went in thinking I was gonna feel queasy about it, and yet, um, and yet I didn't. I, I liked what I saw of Adamo as much or more in Peter Freeman Inc. as, as at Untitled around the corner um, on Orchard Street. Um, Roberta, was, did you have a similar take? No. <laughs> Um, I really loved Adamo's first show at Untitled last year. I thought it was really kind of amazing. Um, and I think that I thought that the Peter Freeman show was better and that he held up pretty well to Castle, but he just, he's not on Castle's level. And um, so I you know, I love that chalk floor. I like these things that seem kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. I, mean, I, I, liked, I think my favorite thing was the chalk floor, which just seemed like a kind of interesting decision, and, but I'm not sure I wanted to take it as his art, you know. And, um, and I thought that everything else was kind of just um, marking time for him. I, I thought he had done this, done a show where he really wasn't, um, that, that in a way he shouldn't have done it, and he kind of did, a, it was a very beautiful show, and he kind of uh, took a back seat to Castle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think there need to be more of these shows, because I think you need to know how these artists are being used by contemporary art. I mean, I think there should be a very thorough show of, of the Harry Who, and what they got out of, say, Joseph Yoakum. You know, there, there's some really very close things. And I don't, I don't think, I don't really like the word primitive because I just think you have artists who are in different situations. They're the same kind of artists. They just have, they have maybe a certain kind of disability. They maybe didn't go to have any training in a certain way, but they're doing it. And I mean, I don't want to just decontextualize everything, but I'm not, we look at so many things where we don't quite understand the, the context, and we go for them, and they have to have something in them. So I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to get involved with the, the biography of these artists. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get involved with, as um, Christian said in this piece he wrote last last spring. You know, they can't talk about their work. It's like hello, you know. If there's one thing artists today can do, they can talk about their work really, really well, mm -hmm. and that's a huge. That's, that's often, they're often talking about something that's not happening in the work. Excuse me. You know, but. Um, so it's a saving grace. I mean, uh, well, I don't know if it's a saving grace. You know, I mean, Matisse said uh, an artist should cut out his tongue, and along comes James Gossel. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is you had your say, you did the work, you know, we'll take mm -hmm. it from here. You know, basically, we'll have our reactions. You will indeed take it from here, yes. Um, uh, and I didn't like, the, I thought the show at um, Untitled was just kind of, uh, 
botany or something like interesting interest it was appropriation and it was it's interesting because in a way it's almost like the termites were sort of outsider artists who were being completely mm. um, exploited. Exploited, yeah. We need a union for the termites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be outside of MoMA picketing. Yeah, well, and I, I thought, yes. I just thought Castle looked great, and there's things I hadn't seen. And Is there perhaps some humility on the part of da uh, David Adamo, uh, Stephen, in saying, uh, like standing back a bit? It's a bit like almost um, um, Robert Gober. Curating a forest bestship. No, I, I agree with that in a way. Like he, like, I mean, I think that was a, th a nice that question gesture, earlier. Yeah. I, I thought there was a way we could we could talk about Matthew Day Jackson as a curator rather than as an artist, you know, almost. And and a lot of artists have great curatorial instincts, and mm. and he so he was sort of creating this situation mm. for Castle's work. So so Matthew Day Jackson curates a retrospective of all the artists he wants by first of all copying them and then putting them in a, in a show of his name. Say so, yeah. Right, Mark Wynn, Rodin, Michelangelo. Okay, uh, Stephen, uh, how, how comfortable were you with uh, the juxtaposition of these two artists? Um, I, wanted, I wanted to like the juxtaposition more than I did. Um, and uh, for that reason, I think for me, seeing the, the termite mounds at Untitled was actually sort of a relief. Uh, and I agree with Roberta, I love the chalk floor, and I think if, it would have been a very interesting to sort of look at James Castle while walking on a, just only the chalk floor, and if he had only done that, that would have been amazing. Mm. Um, but to contribute his sort of like, like patinaed things on top of that, it, didn't, it, it doesn't come from the same source that Castle comes from. I, I thought Castle's the 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 the, uh, the work on paper of the um, you know the drawings of the same of, of, of a similar figure that was hung separately in a long row mm -hmm. and the work into the paper from those drawings and of course you know he's making he's he's like making his own colors and he, these are all pa uh, pieces of paper that he that he that he sort of squirreled away literally from his his in, in his uh, the uh, party through his fam uh, family's uh, being rural postmasters, um, you know his whole story is is that is that at one point early in his uh, like I think when he was uh, Frank, you was it when he was twelve? Like they 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 said something like um, don't, don't don't start a conversation. Oh okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> but he, but the, his parents came down on uh, the school came down on him and said he liked to make art too much. The school for the deaf and, and dumb. And uh, uh, they encouraged, so he could develop language skills. They encouraged his, his parents to take the, um, the, the, his mater art materials away, and he freaked out. The parents just were doing what they told. And, um, um, and the parents, to their credit, returned them right away. But from that point on, he would only work with materials, like with color that he fashioned himself, like out of soot and saliva, and, uh, and on pieces of paper that he particularly chose and found. And so there was something sort of like, there's something so specific about his touch again. And the touch is, let, relates less to like uh, Adamo's appropriation of touch uh, than it does to the Ron Gorchoff paintings uh, on, on, on uh, handmade paper down the street at Leslie Heller. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought there was something very, very similar to that. And, um, uh, uh, and so I, I think that at some point I felt like I felt like this. I had this queasy feeling of of, Adam, of, of Adamo sort of 
holding, you know, the innocent castle up like the baby in the dead zone. Like, you know, don't like the show or, you know, castle gets it. Um, and, uh, you know, like he was using castle as a human shield in a sense. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, and castle's not there to defend himself. And I, and I think was, there was some problematics with the presentation around castle in the show, you know, to that point that like, the, for instance, the challenge butter pieces that are each one of those things was rendered by Castle separately. And so to put them all together into one frame distorts, again, the erotic, or erratic uh, singularity of each piece, which, which, mm -hmm. which was honored by the separation of each figure. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 so uh, Castle's not curate, Castle doesn't get a chance to curate himself, and it kind of misrepresents, the, I think, the, the physical intensity of each thing, even though each thing sort of looks like, you know, very much like it turns. It turns. Yeah. Uh, it makes a serial. Uh, yeah, it, and 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 so it's like now you can get a collection. Yeah. You know. Right. Okay. Um. Um. Ara. Uh, how did how did his um, showing with uh, Castle uh, affect your view of Adamo? Mm. Well, I mean, to be fair, the uh, unlike the the sort of Challenge Butter series, which in showing them all together, he obviously was trying to evoke this idea of, well, look, there was already a kind of uh, pop, maniacal repetition in an artist who's not even necessarily thinking of the market and what commodities might be um, represented this way. But, they, but he did show all of the, um, the, the sort of figure drawings individually along the whole wall. And I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I agree with, with Stephen talking about the, the patina of Nadam. I didn't find there anything sort of patinaed about his work. I found it relatively, I guess, unobtrusive. Um, I think uh, it's hard to get a sense of the scale of that little mini radiator um, from the slide, but it, it's mm. about that big, and it was an actually functioning radiator in the gallery that actually was generating its own um, sort of microcosm of, of heat. And so that, in some ways, sort of rhymed with these cozy American interiors. And um, uh, I do agree that, you know, in, in a sense, uh, Dadamo, except for those very sort of spindly um, columns which rhymed with the, 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 the string of Corinthian columns in the middle of the gallery, largely sort of ebbed away. I mean, uh, castles, those um, very, um, again, sort of repeated, almost Giorgio Morandi-like drawings of vases in, with a real kind of pathos in their repetition and humility, um, and his... Um, those extraordinary, unfortunately, the slide didn't convey it. Um, uh, posters with cut-out letters that really look like kind of Raoul Hausmann Dada and each hand-drawn, yes. each hand-drawn, yes. kind yeah. of absurd mm. optophonic um, posters with with absolutely non sequitur, nonsensical um, uh, sort of exclamations and utterances. Um, and then the the uh, I kind of liked the juxtaposition of his um, again sort of. Uh, you know, the, these humble drawing instruments with which he used to sort of push the soot around on the paper because evidently mm -hmm. he didn't actually draw but instead used just soot and inscribed it. Um, and then, you know, with these Dadamo um, uh, sort of handmade erasers made of clay which seemed kind of like a Vija Selmin sort of um, You like that? Clay. You I, I sort of like that juxtaposition. I thought it was, I thought it was um, considerate. Right, but you were uncomfortable with them while you were better. I was uncomfortable with the juxtapositions. I actually was confused for a moment. Yes, between the erasers and the pencils, yeah. you thought that, right? 
I, yeah, I sort of wanted them to be Adamos, and then I thought, ah, that's not true. So I had to. <laughs> and yet the Adamo erasers uh, in, in clay and painted with tempera predate his uh, awareness of uh, castles mm. uh, oh, yeah, homemade. I, I wouldn't have thought that at all. Yeah. Right, right. Hmm. Well, I think it might be a good moment to uh, move on to our, well, unless there's something else that anyone wants to say about the termites piece, because we'd rather focus more on uh, castles. I sort of thought that they were sort of like scholar's rocks, you know, th thinking right. about the scholar's rock of, uh, that was sort of over, so overbearing and uh, uh, that they were, that, the, that again, without, without the castle, I sort of just sort of enjoyed yeah. them for what they were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I find myself warm towards them, uh, and, and they are, uh, they're alerting me to a fascinating phenomenon in nature that I'd never given any real thought to. Um, I, think, I think they worked as, a, as an interesting sort of installation, but each on yeah. its own didn't hold up as an aesthetic right. sort of if you, object. If you'd come from the Ken Price show or something, or if yeah. you spent any time looking at uh, Henry Moore or something, then yeah. Are they made out of termite poop? Is that it? No, yeah. they're they're modeled after, but they're modeled. made of this synthetic porcelain. No, no, but yeah. but I mean the actual yeah. termite uh, mounds are they made they're out of? Cats termite mounds. They uh, termites attack and eat a whole forget. tree and then they poop. Yeah. And what's yeah. left is this form. So it's like scholars' poop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like yes. that idea. An army of scholars. Well, that's what I think universities are, isn't it? Yes. Okay, on that uh, august note, uh, let's turn our attention to uh, our last show of the evening, ladies and gentlemen, Nan Swid at Margaret Thatcher Produ uh, Projects. Um, Stephen, you like the show? I did. Um, uh, uh, I, I, you know, the gallery is small. And I think that the work would probably benefit from a larger space uh, to really breathe. I, but I, I, you know, I, I liked it for many, many reasons. First of all, we talked about you know the word humility. James Castle was not very humble, by the way. He was, he, if, you know, he would run out and show you his piece if you if you if you came to visit the ranch. But I think this this work is has a kind of humility, a kind of sense of constraint, but also a, a very forward sense of materiality. Of course, I couldn't help but think of Rachel Wright Reed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but there's something sort of very patient and sort of um, inside the study about this work, um, the, and it's you know furthered by the sense of the use of books and ledgers and um, as as a support. Um, but I also you know I I, th I thought a little bit of the of the of the painted insides of of sort of Cornell's more austere um, hotel. Uh, uh, boxes right. uh, where the deck paint is, you know, or it looks like deck paint or something, and and it just sort of crackles and, it, but it's mo it's basically monochrome, and that mm -hmm. sense of sort of pushing forward as opposed to being a negative, I sort of felt that, and uh, I like it that she's like in her seventies and she's just been working, and mm -hmm. uh, and that seems there seems to be like a like a uh, an endure, a, a, a sort of this is a contradiction, but a kind of enduring, durable modesty about the whole mm -hmm. enterprise uh, that 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 uh, I felt very much on the side of, um, and uh, uh, so I, 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 the show was a real, to, to my mind, given the, the sort of the ambition of the narratives around the, uh, the the other four shows, not to not to like just con, con, you know confine it to that comparison, but mm -hmm. it seemed very refreshing. Um, 
in a and, palate cleanser. Uh, yeah, in a, right. in a sense. Yeah. Yes. You see, we do curate this nicely. We end with a palate cleanser. Um, Ara, did you did you was your palate cleansed from seeing <laughs> um, Nansquid? It was actually the first of the of the four uh, or five that I saw, and um, and since. Uh, it's only grown in its, um, in, or my admiration for it has only grown. And I, you know, I, the, the same word came to mind as, um, as that for Stephen, which was that of humility. And I think, um, I, I actually thought that the scale of the gallery, the small scale, worked for the pieces. It added a kind of um, intimacy to them. Um, each one um, characterized by this, this laying of encaustic, which is paint mixed with wax over their surfaces and a kind of almost democracy of surface. All of these books and containers, all of which are old and have this kind of use and patina to them are, um, are rendered into a kind of uniform geometry which evoked um, uh, abstraction at its best, really, from sort of Russian constructivism onward. And I thought that there was a real sort of, um, again, modesty of form and of material, but um, a, a patience and a consistency um, and uh, a real kind of um, touching pathos in this care for things. I mean, there was even a few in which um, the book, which had been laid over with encaustic, still had its tassel hanging down. Um, and so this play between objecthood and pure geometry um, it, it kept coming up again and again. And uh, these were works that I, um, if they were hanging on my wall, I would come to look at them over and over again. They really sort of beg that, that which is the best thing That's that you can a, sort of the, ask. the highest praise I think one can bring to a work. Uh, Roberto, it seems to me that uh, Anna Betbees and Nan Swid would make a very good beachcombing couple because uh, uh, what, what the two things you find on a beach are... Um, uh, towels and, and books. Um, do, do you think uh, that wasn't a completely uh, flippant uh, segue? I wondered actually if the, about the the status of the book as um, object or structure uh, within um, within Swid. Do, do the other books uh, signifies or signifies? Are they actually do they do they carry across any of the connotations of uh, reading or learning, or are they just Convenient volumes, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to ignore that question and say whatever you have on there. I'm really impressed with what you both said about her work, and I really appreciate it, but um, I wasn't that interested in it. I thought it was very, it, I, I, listening to you, I think, I think it had a kind of integrity that was a kind of about process and about materials. But if this were, if I were seeing this as a student, you know, I would, I would just ask a lot of questions like, how, how much are you thinking about being original? How much are you thinking about how uh, much the work leans on the kind of attractiveness and allure of old objects that look perfectly fine on their own to begin with? Um, what uh, um, what about Ryman? You know, what about Cornell? What about Cordy Ryman? You know, there's just a lot of, um, I felt that the work was, was very inhabited by other work. And I felt that it did a pretty good job of fending them off. But that it's, it seemed like a very, um, 
refined and very good, you know, like she has, there's a real expression of taste and a kind of intelligence about them and that they, I don't know, there's just so many ways that art can be and have relationships to other art. And I just wanted, um, I thought that it did pretty well in terms of dealing with so much other artists in the work. But I, I just, it had to be more. You know, this is the, this is the beginning of something. And it's, um, it's a little too finished as an object, as objects to be the beginning. Yes. I think I completely agree with you, as it happens. I um, found them pleasant, but not meaty enough. And it, it was primarily for me, it's the failure to use or abuse the book. The books were really, I think, just convenient volumes. And um, I know that the artist has a distinguished career um, in um, some form of architectural fabrication and working with um, other, mostly sort of architects in producing lines of objects. And it seemed that this, in her private work, she was keen to get a kind of distress or um, edge uh, that um, her, maybe her habitual, um, her day job, as it were, or her previous career had demanded um, uh, much more of a sort of humility and finesse than she wanted in her own work. But it seemed... Uh, it seemed to me they were innocuous, uh, decent, um, decorative, and that I wouldn't, I would have the opposite reaction from Ara, uh, that if, if, if I was dating someone and this person had it on their wall, um, I, I would look at it once, maybe. And, and, you, and then it would just sink. And would you ask her out again? Uh, well, I'm saying if I was dating and if I was there all the oh, time okay. and had to live with it. I'm not going to, you know, base a relationship on whether you go for Nan Swid or Anna Betbys. I mean, that's, that's, that dating is difficult enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some things that are date breakers, you know? Yeah. Um, but Stephen uh, and Ara, that's, uh, you know, the, the, you, you're sandwiching some negativity here. You need to... Um, Come back. Tell us what we're missing. Well, again, I think oh, really? I, 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 I think <laughs> I, I was saying something about uh, I wish the work had more space. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, against white walls, monochrome work really uh, uh, asks for even more space, not less space. And I you think, think that she'd do well in Hauser and Worth. I mean, um, <laughs> she might do better in Hauser and Worth. Uptown. Um, Uptown. Yes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, but uh, also, I think there was violence done to the book. I mean, these things, these are books that books are meant to be opened, and these are um, now closed, mm -hmm. basically glued shut. And uh, the, also, the, the, when you look on the sides, you can see that uh, uh, most of the paper in these books and ledgers uh, are not pH neutral. They're deteriorating and and, and going uh, sort of an orangey brown from uh, their acidification. And uh, meanwhile, the paint's like sort of staying the same. So there's a kind of almost a time-based, very slow time-based thing beginning to operate in them, which I don't really think is characteristic of much of the other work that it seems to source. Um, 
And again, these operations are things that are, that, that are almost sculptural, they're almost performative, they, they seem to exist in this. In, and so what I would hope is at some point is, is that, uh, um, you know, maybe Margaret Thatcher gets a bigger gallery. Um, uh, or, or, you know, that these, it, it, I would like a chance to see these works in a, in a space where, where their, their sort of ghostliness can really fill up the room. Okay. Um, I, I liked the ones that were rotated into a kind of lozenge, right, in mm -hmm. which uh, at least there is a kind of play um, not only with the, the ready-made form of the, of the box or of the support, but, uh, um, you know, an engagement with other sort of past works, whether Mondrian, et cetera. Uh, you know, uh, I suppose this is, you know, the, 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 in the context of, of this panel and the artists that we've looked at, of course, the praises. Um, is relative. That's not to walk back my my sort of pleasure in, in seeing them. But I did think that they were. Um, I, I do think that the encaustic actually, um, uh, as I said, a kind of leveling material that really allows you to sort of set aside the object as object, and it becomes sort of more um, sort of pure form in a sense. And, and that aspect of it, I actually quite liked. Right. Right. Well, uh, I think maybe I had seen in growing up in England, many, and one could see it anywhere, I'm sure, um, a number of artists who, who work with these materials um, uh, abstractly. Um, I, I would make discernments between different works, and I'd say that uh, the works where there's really a sort of tension between uh, levels of relief uh, are the ones that were the most sort of knotty and satisfying mm. for me. Um, but then maybe, you know, uh, that, that's, that was just my take. But um, uh, excellent. Mm. Let's have some audience response to the um, last two shows we've, we've looked at. It would be great if we could start, uh, do the same thing again and start with, um, actually, let's do the opposite. Let's start with Nan Swid and then finish up with Castle Adamo. So uh, comments, if there are any, on. Um, Nan Swid's show. Anybody wish to? Sh uh, anybody got some thoughts on the show we were just uh, talking about there? Yes, uh, I think that I'd like you all to respond to the juxtaposition of Nan Swid's work and the titles. I, you know, you think about uploaded, five attachments, mm. black plus white. You know, we're basically dematerialized in a digital age, and I think it's really interesting that these objects that are titled in a digital age are so mnemonic of an archaeological, a hand touch, and it's a, the edge I see is the, is the reminder that as we dematerialize and go forward that we have to remember our humanity and our groundedness. And I think it's interesting for the panel to have put Anna's work in combination with Nan's because of the choice of the substrate. I mean, when you think of a bath towel and a robe, you know, that's what you touch when you're naked, you're most intimate. And when you read a book, you know, it's a private one-on-one. -on -one. It's your point of contact with the outer intelligence. So I just wanted to comment on the nature of the substrate choices and the title references in Nan's work. The title that's where I think the strength of the work is, both in its phenomenological basis and then its tandem to where we're all at as a, as a civilization. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's, that's, that's a significant dimension. 
grateful for that. Another comment or, or two on SWID? Anyone else wanting to speak on SWID? Yes. Yeah, the, the name that popped into my head when I looked at Nan SWID's work with, was PETO. Um, and I almost looked at his, her work oh. as almost like being inverted Trump Loy, where we, the viewer, become the support. And then there's a ground, and then there's an object that comes after it. Whereas right. with PETO, you'd have you know, your support, your ground, and then he would kind of fake the paint to make you see the Trompoy object. And just right. the book reference is perfect on it, too. Interesting. An anti-Trompoy. Uh, okay. Oh, backwards. A backwards Trompoy. <laughs> right. Uh, excellent. And um, I'm sure there's comments, thoughts on James Castle and uh, David Adamo and their juxtaposition in our remaining minutes. Um, any, anybody in the audience like to, to come in on that and, and uh, uh, add or challenge um, what's been said already? Yes, there is somebody at the back. Great. Um, I really love, I like the show very much and um, I really enjoyed the experience of the insulation of the floor. And I think I, you know, it was, it was kind of a guilty pleasure to walk and crack these. You know, as an artist, you know, God forbid I should break this piece of chalk because it's going to all these little pieces, you know, I hate the little pieces. But to walk on them and crack them and, you know, whatever, it was pleasurable. And, uh, um, and I, I enjoyed the juxtaposition between the two artists. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I feel like that would have been enough. That was a really... Yeah. Sense heightening experience. Right. Any other feelings on the subject? Well, yes, in the front row, getting, keeping, uh, keeping you fit here, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to say about the termite, um, termite mounds that there was something where they did remind me of a lot of other different things. You know, praying hands, leaning, leaning things, hands open, hands closed, a lot of other structures. And then I got back to the fact that they were termite mounds and that, of course, changed them entirely. And I gather that there was a lot to be learned about termite mounds and how they're constructed and made and what they do with their channels. And, so on, but I wasn't as aware of that as these sort of insinuated associations. Right. I mean, it, it, it's really a vindication of the uh, ancient, uh, well, of uh, Wentworth Darcy Thompson's sort of forms of growth uh, in, in, in a, that, that how basically there are basic mathematical formulae underlying all growths, including piles of dung. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of ARP in that we flush every day, so. <laughs> my, my question is for David. Um, David, you mentioned about that you were engaged by the Adamo Castle juxtaposition. However, at the Biennale, at the Encyclopedic Palace, it didn't resonate for you in quite the same way. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why it didn't work in the larger context uh, for those who had been to oh, the Oh, yes. Um, I felt that the 
Venice Biennale is a statement of, should be a, a manifesto of where our culture is now and, and to, to derive um, uh, a view on that primarily from what artists are doing now. And um, two problems I had with the elevation of the outsider were, number one, why particularly now um, and why in a show about current art when, yes, the, the outsider, um, outsiders have and continue to produce really exhilarating, compelling work of their kind. Um, but the problems I have, I have a major problem anyway with the whole notion of outsider art. I think it could be a whole lecture in itself, um, primarily because um, the, the vital component in a definition of outsiderism is um, uh, to be free of the academy. And um, I don't think the technical basis of what happens in art academies for the last 50 years makes the academy insider enough uh, for the outsider to have any sort of ground, any foundation anymore. In fact, today's real outsiders are probably people who develop their own academic techniques that can um, uh, leave, leave in the dust many graduates of academies. You see, uh, the other problem I have is that um, the art that was actually chosen to represent the outsiders in Venice was all historical. It was all um, mid-20th century or earlier, as if there aren't outsiders anymore. And if there aren't outsiders anymore, then why bother if, if for a show of contemporary art? So that seemed to me just a conceptual, historical uh, problem. But uh, that, that's a, Venice, is, Venice is in Venice. We can all go there, still, still up. I mean, the Biennale, of course, Venice is still up. Uh, well, don't laugh. Wow. Don't laugh. Go when you can. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> when you go, you'll help it sink, but it is sinking. So, uh, but on the other hand, the Biennale is up through, I think, November, beginning of November. So go and judge for yourself. Go and see those other shows. Go and see all of those excellent shows we're talking about next month. And wonderful to see uh, Can I just so say something? You. you may. I thought part of the reason of that show was to sort of bring us up to speed. You thought what we should the Biennale? Yeah, that in a way to say this is this is stuff you should know about the relationships between what you're doing and and this not so distant past. And it, I mean, my objection to the show is that I just thought there should have been more kind of visual pop. You know that he didn't he didn't. I thought it could have actually been better done with that kind of approach, and maybe that would have been more convincing to you. Maybe that was something you're missing. But you know. He, the, what's happening in outsiders contemporarily is so it's so huge and confusing. Like this mm -hmm. seemed like okay, look at this now, and you know there'll be more of this. I mean, I just I just thought it opened something up in this really major important way, which is like we are not alone. You know, we are we think we're in the art world, and the art world is such a small part of art mm -hmm. that's that's made at, at really at any point in history, but particularly now. So why couldn't he find contemporary outsiders then? I think that's a whole other task that has barely been started. And I think that these, I think that some of these outsiders, I mean, Castle is, is to me, as great as Jasper Johns. You know, these yeah. are people that really threaten the canon. And that's, that's a very interesting thing. But you know, that, that the mm. canon, that, that, that 
it's kind of this, I mean, it, you know, I'm stating the obvious. It is a construct. But and, it, it's, and it's Jasper Johns who sends us to look at Castle, surely. Without Jasper Johns, we wouldn't be able to, I don't think we'd be able to see in Castle well, as but much that, as we do. But that kind of reciprocity, nobody owns that necessarily, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jim Nutt worked on uh, Ramirez's drawings every day in his studio for years. I mean, can you think what, he, he conserved them himself. Can you think what that did to Nutt's mind? I mean, to, to Nutt's art. You know, it's just, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um, that's a, a it. A useful subject for a debate another night, the outsider and the insider in contemporary art. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much.